Hi, readers. I'm Jordan. And I'm Katie. And welcome to Not Another Heroine, the podcast where we break down the best and worst fictional heroines, those swashbuckling ladies who have to work a little harder than expected for their happy ending. This week, we're reading Court Duel by Sherwood Smith, otherwise known as That Goddamn Floppy Hat. Well, we have arrived. <laughs> I said I was going to say that, and I said it. <laughs> we have arrived at part two, which uh, I feel like is par- if part one is the like crazy, muddy, uh, reckless, run across the country horseback, this is the posh, fancy, lacy dresses uh, court intrigue. Which is nice because we hit. Like we hit both reader types, right? The ones mm-hmm. who want the adventure and the grunginess and the ones who want like, I like pretty dresses and fancy shoes and dancing. Absolutely. Get you a girl who can do both. That's this book. Yes. Yep. Which we can both relate to. Yes. Yeah. On multiple levels. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's another podcast. Yeah. But anyway, our dear Mel. So she returns to Talanth. She's filthy rich and she's spending all that new money that Galdrin so nicely handed over. Um, with uh, the Marquis of Chivray's not-so-polite persuasion to make him hand over to her. Um, And she spent it all fixing up her dilapidated family castle. I mean, among uh, other things, right? Books that go into the house. (laughs) But I think it, it bears mentioning that she's spending an entire nation's fortune all mm-hmm. these taxes on fixing her own house up yeah. buying new clothes for her people not for herself yet and books that is true because mm-hmm. i feel like her own wardrobe is at the bottom of her to-do list which she, is yeah sorry go ahead. admirable well that's a that's a theme with mel from the very beginning is she's always she's always looking out for the people around her and never for herself mm-hmm Absolutely. Which I feel like kind of leads us in. So one day she's just going about her own fucking business, uh, walking around in whatever kind of clothes she wants. And who comes back from the Capitol to visit? Uh, Her brother, Bran. Oh, Bran. And guess who is with him? Who is it? Drum roll. Mm, That's not a drum roll. (laughs) (laughs) That was like a nice hmm. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, drum roll. His new fiance. Oh, but is she pretty? Probably. <laughs> the lady. Oh, how do we say her name? Nimiar? Yes. N- yeah, Nimiar. Nimiar. But also known as Knee. 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 The Knights of Knee. Our dear Knee. I still don't know what okay. that means. <laughs> <laughs> Google will be your friend later. It's fine. Okay. The Knights of Knee. But anyway, so Bran comes back to visit. He's got his new fiance in tow. And guess who is rounding out the squad? Oh, tell me, Katie. Who is it? The notorious, the devastatingly handsome, the swashbuckling <laughs> Marquis of Chevreuth. And he is only months away from being the king. Oh, wait. So we have a hero who's swashbuckling and he'll have a position of authority in the very near future? Wow. That's uh, almost all fantasy romance. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, that's a... Uh... So just going to throw that little tidbit out there. Uh, that's half his appeal right there. Like, he could have power. He just hasn't gotten it yet. Yep, it's kind of taking his time. Yep, yep. 
And of course, as we have talked about probably previously in the first episode of this podcast, um, what does Bran do immediately upon seeing Mel? Oh my goodness. He roasts the fuck out of her. Oh, Bran. <laughs> he literally says, and I quote, why are you dressed like that? The servants look better. And okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt here because we all know this is a great author device to make us feel sorry for our heroine, right? She's got to feel downtrodden. We got to feel sorry for her. She's got to overcome this. Like, oh, woe is me. I don't know how to dress. Mm-hmm. Goal achieved. It's happened. Brand is an asshole. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because it goes straight from like seeing Mel spend all of this money that is not hers on her own house. But then all of a sudden now it takes us her older brother making some like very pointed mean comments uh, unintentionally but still makes the comments. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, Mel, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It'll be better. We'll get you a modern dress. It'll be fine. Yep. And then to round out this whole, you know, fuck Bran moment, um, (laughs) you know, not even a day later, uh, Bran proves to be an unintentional dickhead yet again. And when Mel arrives at dinner in her mother's gown, her late mother. Oh, she's trying. She's really trying. (laughs) Yeah, she's wearing this dress, and uh, he just kind of answers with this golden line, Mel, where are your wits gone begging? Why did you have to wear an old gown 30 years out of date when you have anything, or you can have anything you want? Okay, let's let's think back. What has Mel suffered for her brand, for her family, for her people? And he's hyper-focusing on her dress style. Mm-hmm. Yep, he just roasts the shit out of her unsolicited, like, un, you know, she did not do anything to deserve that. And he's like, damn, like, you look old as fuck. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Mel. Like, you really feel for Mel in this instance. Because, you know, at one point or another, we've always felt that, like, felt like Mel is feeling right at this moment, right? Like, oh, I am not good enough for the people I'm, a, I'm around or the room I'm in, like, there's no way I can overcome this. And then someone just comes around and just stomps on you further. And it's not just anyone. It's someone you care about. Mm-hmm. We've all been there. It sucks. Absolutely. And I think that's when Lady Namar or Ni kind of proves herself to be like not the like bitchy fiance that we're kind of all expecting. She's like literally immediately chastising her fiance. And she's like, dude, like that was fucking rude, first of all. And um, basically, she just begs Mel to come back to the Capitol with them so that she can dance at their wedding. And she's like, I promise I will be able to show you the ropes. I will show you how to dance. I will show you how to dress. I'll show you like the little like fan flicking and what it means. And like, you'll be good. Like, no one's going to know. I'm going to do you a solid like. I don't want to be at odds with you. Well, let's let's clarify, because this makes me sound like a little high and mighty, mm. like the the hot girlfriend who comes in and like, oh, I'll fix you. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She doesn't approach it from that manner, right? She's mm-hmm. like, no, like you're my fiance sister. Like I care about you. Like I care about your family. Let me help you, and I want to help you because that's who I am, and I help people. Um, that's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and that's kind of neat throughout the story, which is which is really cool. It's nice to see such a selfless character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this is not Mean Girls. This is just me being like, oh, you're you're gorgeous and beautiful, and you've been working really hard. But let me let me help you just a little bit there. Mm-hmm. 
And it's funny too, because like, uh, as we immediately see, Nee is good friends with the Marquis, which is funny because Mel does not like him. And they have this little uh, tidbit and Mel kind of proves that she is maybe not so uh, reasonable in uh, talks clear like myself as I'm struggling to like <laughs> put a sentence together. Just a little relatable, just a little bit. Yeah, but she has this uh, delicious little tidbit of smooth talking. Please tell me more. Um, D said, Nee says, uh, what is it? Do you mislike him? Talking about the Marquis of Chivalry. And she's watching and studying and Mel responds, yes, no, not mislike, but more mistrust. Not what he'll do, but what he might say. I babbled. Oh, never mind. It's all foolishness. Suffice to say, uh, I feel better when we're at opposite ends of the country, but I'll settle for opposite sides of the castle. Oh my gosh, Mel. Okay. So again, we've all been here. We've all said absolute garbage and not know what it's meant or have no meaning whatsoever. We just, we don't know what we're feeling. Mel doesn't know what she's feeling. She's just expressing her complete lack of, I don't know, comfort, understanding. Yeah. Because I feel like we all like interact with those people where you're like, I don't know why I don't like you, but like, I don't like you. And it's always the fucking person that everyone else likes. And so you're trying to explain like, I just like get not good, feel good vibes from that person. And everyone's like, well, like, what is your reasoning? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, don't ask me to I, evaluate it. <laughs> I figure I just don't like their face. There's something yeah. wrong there. Yeah. You get not good vibes. Mm -hmm. yep. But that's not quite where Mel's at with Shifraya, because there's an mm -hmm. underlying theme there of like, cause she acknowledges right in the beginning, right? Remember back to their first meeting and mm -hmm. he's, pleasant looking that's true he's attractive there's no like oh you're weird or mm -hmm. oh there's something wrong with you mm -hmm. it's just a oh i'm uncomfortable you're hot, <laughs> you're hot. <laughs> and i can't quite talk about that yet because i don't know what that means to me yep that's that is very yep you're hot but i don't know what that means to me that is mel all oh, in one sentence poor mel <laughs> we all we've all been mel at one point oh yes we have but uh, with that table, uh, under the table deal, Mel spends the next few weeks learning from Nee on how to be a proper court lady. And Mel does her darndest to avoid a certain marquee that is literally staying at her house. Darndest? Really? Darndest? Darndest. That's a word, right? Uh -huh. Sure. Okay. That does not sound reassuring. <laughs> Continuing on. <laughs> she does her darndest. Darndest. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, she's mostly successful at avoiding uh, the certain man, except for one interaction in the library when they're talking. And near the end, the Marquis asks her, can you tell me why you seem to still harbor your original resentment against me? Oh, my God, this scene. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I definitely took notes on this scene because mm -hmm. it is so worth mentioning. It is very important to the general storyline. Yep. And she essentially responds that after what is likely a super awkward pause where she tries <laughs> to, like, get it together, she basically says... Uh, I didn't write it down, but <laughs> I wrote my notes to say, I think that's weirdly relatable. <laughs> well, I think, okay, if I'm remembering correctly, she's like, um, uh, I don't like you, but I don't know why I don't like you. Yes. That's in, okay. in short. Yes. And I think we've all had that. Like mm -hmm. we literally just talked about that. There's just some people where you're like, <gasps> but it's, it's also not, okay. Mm. It's not like, that's the word she uses generally, mm -hmm. right? Like it's, it's, but it's not that she doesn't know herself well enough to know that it's not about liking or disliking Shivrayeth. It's that she's uncomfortable with her relationship with him. Mm, beautiful. 
That is literally Mel to a T. Mm -hmm. She just doesn't know what to think, what to feel. And she's like, oh, my God, you make me uncomfortable. So I don't think I like you. And uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, with that, we mean like she's physically attracted to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like uncomfortable in the way like, oh, my God, I have like full body, like everything going on. Like my body is reacting. But like, I don't know what that means because like I haven't really been with any men before. <laughs> Chemistry is weird. <laughs> is this what flirting? <laughs> Tooing is what they call in the book, right? Oh, Tooing. Yeah, Tooing. It's cute. They're like Tooing it. and she is totally fucking ignorant of that. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> you know, it's adorable. Like, well, I like that about Mel. Also, like, it's relatable. Yep. yep. Again, another time we've all been there before. Yep. And and if you haven't been there before, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have. They're just still in denial about it. <laughs> right? uh, so before Mel can have any further awkward interactions with Marquis, the day has come for the squad to sit out towards the capital. And the first day, uh, Mel and Nee are stuck together in the carriage, basically the whole day. But uh, come the second day, Bran, of course. It's always Bran. Yep, it's always Bran. <laughs> he says that he would like to ride in the carriage with Nee. And like, okay, that's fine. But uh, it's probably a small carriage. So where is Mel going to sit? That's awkward. Can you imagine? Like, carriages are tiny. Like, you don't really get a a sense of how tiny they are like on tv shows when you're watching bridgerton mm -hmm. oh they're massive you can definitely bang in these carriages no no you can't <laughs> you cannot you probably don't want to no Just it is like two it. person max seating yeah <laughs> and so where does that leave our dear mel um riding alongside the marquee all day long big oof i cannot imagine mm. <laughs> but uh, the Marquis, in a widely uncharacteristic moment of, like, chaotic energy, he asks her if she waged, uh, fancies a wager. Oh, and we know Mel. She is very competitive. Mm -hmm. She's immediately suspicious, and she's like, well, name the terms. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, whoever reaches the next in first. And she's like... Okay, I'm interested. I like riding horseback. Like, we can do this. She's like, but what's the stake? And that is where this slim dog <laughs> has the audacity to wait a kiss. Okay, swoon, swoon, <laughs> yes. Swoon. But also completely out of character for Shreyas. Yes, so out of nowhere. But it's like weirdly in character because you get those vibes that he's like this controlled person who like always has his plan in place. He's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do in all situations. And all of a sudden he is met with this like chaotic fucking energy. And he's like, I like what you got going on, but I'm not going to admit it to myself. <laughs> oh. And he's like, all of a sudden, like a kiss. That's a reasonable wager between Yes, but this is one way I can get what I want. Sure, let's do this. Absolutely a kiss. <laughs> and so Mel, reasonably, her first reaction is anger. <laughs> because that's how we all react to that kind yeah, of wager. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Uh, but then she figures that it's got to be some kind of sort of like court joke. This oh. is not like she maybe doesn't understand the implications of what he's saying. And it's like a big old fancy joke. But then the competitive edge comes blazing out and she thinks about winning. And bang, she says the race is on. Okay, but for real though, Mel is in so much denial throughout <laughs> part two. Okay, this is the theme of crown, of, not crown duel, court duel, excuse me. Mel in denial of yep. everything, <laughs> but particularly 
anything related to the Baki of Shifreya. Mm -hmm. Like, oh no, I you're not attractive. No, like you you don't really want to kiss me. Why would you want that? Of course I'll agree to this waiter. Like, oh, you was totally unrelated to the kissing. You must mean something else. Oh my god. So they immediately gear up and set out, and they're both soaked by the rain. I can like get all kinds of vibes from this. It's like raining, pouring out rain, and she's like, "This is so much fucking fun." Like it's weird that it's with the Marquis of Chivrath, but I'm even not even gonna like question it. Like I'm having a great time, <laughs> laughing, hair is blowing in the wind, and they are galloping full speed down the road at a breakneck speed. And Mel seems to be winning. And she has this whole moment to herself where she's like, I just don't have to like cash in on the wager. Like I can win oh, and like no. just win and pretend like the kiss wasn't even like part of the deal. Oh. Which is, okay, so this is particularly relevant because Mel is tiny. She never wins at anything. Yeah. Like she sucks at a lot of things. That's true. And she's okay with sucking. Yeah. But then she's like, I can win until all of a sudden, who is that very close to the city that they're supposed to go to? Uh, the Marquis. <laughs> but our Marquis, how is he dressed though? He has that dumb ass flappy <laughs> hat on. It's dumb the ass flappy hat. <laughs> Fluffy hat makes an appearance throughout the book, and it's so cute. Oh, I feel like I just like didn't imagine that he was like a hat guy. <laughs> but no, he wears a hat in part one. He wears a hat in part two. That's true. But yeah. you know, I kind of imagined it as like one of those tricorn hats. They're oh. a little bit more swashbuckling. Okay, I imagined it one of those like full like flappy brim thing <laughs> that he like wears at an angle, and he's like, I am dashing in this hat. So so. For our dear readers, uh, we have a friend who likes hats, and he has many hats. Yes. They are very flappy. So many flappy hats. <laughs> so many flappy hats. Um, well, let's hope that the Marquis of Chivrayeth wears a dashing hat. Yeah, he maybe is like a hat guy, and it works for him. Like, we'll just, we'll believe that yeah, for okay. now. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> so Mel walks into the inn. She's soaked to the bone, dripping rainwater literally everywhere. And the Marquis, with an overflow of, like, random chivalry says that he'll cash in at a time and a place of his choosing. Uh, and then he decides to directly insult her by saying as kissing her now would feel like kissing a wet fish. Oh, oh, I feel that in my soul. <laughs> I would be so fucking mad. Oh I my. know we're going to kiss right now, bitch. But Mel, but Mel is relieved, right? Like, yeah. That's what she suspected all along. Mm -hmm. right? She thought this was like some big joke. And then his comment, like it checks out. But, you know, good plot device by mm. the author, right? Like, mm -hmm. is he serious? Is he not serious? Mm -hmm. He's just, just going to hold that in his back pocket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so always the sly instigator of further conversation, the Marquis, switching the topic from kissing to intrigue, asks for Mel's opinion on a letter he received from the Marquise of Merindar, the sister of the late King Galdrin. Dun, dun. Done. That was appropriately timed. Thank You're you welcome. for that. That was that was a good. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> and so uh, Mel is immediately awkward about this because she had received a similar letter from the Lady Marquis and actually wanted to go to the capital to discover if this woman would be a better ruler than our flappy-hatted Marquis. <laughs> Why are you going to judge his hats, okay? Like, you're coming back to the hat. It's like a good descriptor because they're both Marquis. I know. Yeah, it's like there's one Marquis that we but like. we have a flappy-hatted Marquis. Yeah, we stand him, but we don't like the other one. Mm, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fair. Fair. Um, and so after yet another awkward, heated, uh, and not a good way interaction, the Marquis asked if he should cede her the throne, which is like kind of wild. He's just putting that out, uh, out there full send like, do you think I would be a good king? 
And our dear sweet Mel, she answers, well, will she be a good uh, ruler? I don't know. Why are you asking me? Why does my answer make any difference at all? Unless showing me this letter and asking me these questions is a way of making a threat. Way to make it personal now. <laughs> right? She does this all the time. She immediately is like full send, like you're making fun of me. Uh, like you don't actually want my opinion on anything. You just want to make this into some kind of like There's weird... no ulterior motive here. I don't know what it is, but it's got to be there. Mm -hmm. And then she ends that beautiful monologue with the internal observation that she kind of wants to smash something. <laughs> I can relate to that. I feel that. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, and the marquee, wising up to our old Mel's meltdowns, just says no. I just thought you'd find it interesting and then proceeds to ignore her. Okay, let's pause right there for a second. The Marquis is very patient. The mm -hmm. Marquis of Chiffreya. Like, being familiar to Mel's meltdowns, like, she has a lot of meltdowns. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe meltdowns is unfair. But, like, uh, internal meltdown and, like, just kind of shuts down and expects the worst of the other person talking. It's yeah. not like a meltdown, but... Uh, you know, that's... So that's an interesting point. Like as a reader, it feels like Mel is melting down mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's because we're like privy to her internal monologue. Mm. But in reality, when you're looking at her dialogue with these other characters, she's actually a little bit more circumspect mm -hmm. with what she's saying, what she's doing, and how she's deciding. So she's not quite as um, obstinate and aggressive as she may appear like internally to us. Mm -hmm. I could see that. Um, so flash forward, however long it takes for them to get to the capital with a giant ass carriage in tow, and the squad arrives in Ramalna City. Ramalna? Ramalna. I thought we already clarified this. We probably did, but I already forgot. Sure, that's fine. We'll go with that. <laughs> okay, Ramalna City. <laughs> we have a new name coming up, so... I see. I have it in front of me. No, oh, girl, I cannot pronounce any of these names. <laughs> <laughs> so many names. Ugh. And so um, Mel and Nee get together, and on their first outing, they encounter one lady, Tamara, who Ooh, is... Ooh, this bitch. I know, this bitch, that is accurate. <laughs> She's, like, feeding some, like, fish or something in this first scene. She's, like, throwing bread. Like, I'm not I'm not making that up, right? I, it's either fish or pigeons or something. <laughs> I don't know. She seems like a fish person, not, yeah. like, a pigeon person. But she's, like, you know, throwing bread or whatever, and she's surrounded by, like, all these hot men. And one of them is the suave and dashingly handsome Duke of Savona. Okay, but let me emphasize here. Lady Tamara is surrounded by hot men. This is the descriptor that is provided in the book. She is a hot <laughs> chick surrounded by hot men, yep. and she is intimidating. Mm -hmm. You can tell, like, everything you need to know is by that descriptor. Mm -hmm. Like, who is around her? Oh, she's, like, Queen Bee. She's uh, that girl. Yep, she's mm -hmm. that girl. And it's interesting because uh, the Lady Tamara is cousins with Nee. And uh, as Nee uh, interestingly uh, observes on, uh, is the first time that Lady Tamara calls her cousin in public. <laughs> Why would that be, I wonder? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Probably because Mel is uh, weirdly popular amongst everyone because of her little, like, adventurous whatever the heck she's I mean, been having. <laughs> that seems to happen when you're a heroine. You just become popular, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so Nee also reveals that the Lady Tamara is uh, one social climbing queen bee wannabe. Mm. Mm -hmm. oh, I like that descriptor. Yep. And uh, it's interesting now that King Galdrin has been ousted because who, pray tell, is uh, Lady N Tamara interested in? Uh-oh. Our dear Marquis of Shivraith. Don't Chivraith. say it. Don't <laughs> say it. No. Immediately. She likes a man in power. 
I mean, who doesn't? That's that's fair. Especially when they look like Legolas. Oh, girl, that's a whole other. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because Mel, obviously in uh, all kinds of denial, finds the news quite hilarious. And upon hearing that tidbit of gossip, laughs herself all the way back to her rooms. And all I can say is, girl, you are so far in fucking denial. I'm not sure you're ever going to be able to find your way back to reality. <laughs> that is so... Uh, I can't do justice to that. That's beautiful. No, nope, well, that was well done, uh, Katie. That was literally written written on a uh, post-it note in my book. That's because, a perfect descriptor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so quite immediately, Mel attends her first formal dinner and does knees tutelage good by successfully avoiding any horrible disasters. Mel finds her way into some horrible disasters quite frequently. She really does. So this is saying a lot. Yeah. She made it through like a whole formal court dinner, like totally fine. Well, we're coming up on a really good portion, though. Mm, Yeah. So after the dinner portion, Princess Alestra, who uh, we'll get to that later. So Princess Alestra steals away Mel to show her the palace's library. But Katie, who is Princess Alestra? Mm -hmm. Our dear Marquis' mother. Oh, no, the mother. Okay, I'm not going to say mother-in-law, but... um... Kind of that role. Yep. Yeah. Okay. She's like, I see that like there's something going on between you and my son. I'm just going to like pick you up and take you to the library really quick. We're going to have a little chat. That's not ominous at all. Uh, No, it is pretty <laughs> ominous. <laughs> so in the library, the princess drops a little knowledge bomb on our girl and talks about how truth is subjective. And two people can witness the same event and give completely different retellings, both intentionally and unintentionally. Oh, don't tell me, Kitty. Is that something we deal with in the modern day? Era? Oh, my God. It almost as if uh, that's, you know, happens all the time. Uh, so thank you, Miss Smith, for these little droplets of wisdom throughout the book. Because, you know, what we see frequently is these bits of wisdom tucked in that apply to this fantasy world. But, you know, that was written 20 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Still relevant today. Absolutely. So back in the main hall, Mel returns and basically has a line out the door of men hoping to dance with her. And after God knows how many dances, what does our male, uh, dear Mel want to know? What the Marquis of Chivray th- thinks about, quote, all of this, end quote, and bold as a dog snagging a half-eaten chicken nugget out of a toddler's hand, sneaks a <laughs> peek at him under the arm of her dance partner. Okay, so clue to the reader. She's attractive to Vidanrek. Mm-hmm. Right? She you, is interested. Mm-hmm. If you haven't picked up, so Vidanrek, the Marquis of Chivray, same dude. He's got a lot of names, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, Mel's got a thing for him. Immediately. So you don't dance with a bunch of guys and then you're like, oh, but like, I wonder, is this like guy looking like. Is he watching me? Does he know that I'm a good dancer too? (laughs) Let me just like sneak a little peek at what he's looking at. (laughs) Oh, I forgot. Okay. So Mm -hmm. can we cycle back just a little bit? Yes. Okay. So when Princess Alestra takes Mel to the library, there's a really cute little interchange between the two of them. That's kind of. (laughs) Not caught by a lot of people, I think. Um, so Princess Celestra and Mel have this conversation about what books are recorded and how they're recorded. And Princess Celestra mentions how, you know, in our country, right, like we don't record our plays, right? They're just kind of, you know, out of any player's whim. They're just kind of mm. uh, whose line is it anyway style, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, in some other countries, they take pride in recording these 400-year-old plays and this antiquated language, and it's and it's funny, and it's fun. Sound familiar? 
Maybe a little bit. A little bit of Shakespeare, a little bit of that. Is oh, that like interesting. A little bit of quaintness <laughs> tucked into there. Anyway, Weird. sidebar, going back to our plot, I rather enjoyed that. Thank you, Princess Lestra, and uh -huh. thank you, Miss Smith, for, for that little tidbit. Just a little uh, tidbit of reality mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. And so what is the Marquis of Chevreuse looking at? Uh, he's not paying attention to Mel. Uh -oh. oh, that was heart-wrenching. How dare you? You take a little sneak peek of some like guy that you think is kind of cute, but you're in denial about, and he's not fucking looking. How can you demand a kiss out of me and then not <laughs> what, not claim it, and then to not look at me when I'm dancing pretty? Bitch, I am dancing with some other guy, and you are not paying attention. <laughs> rude. It's so rude. Uh, so her next event is this big old welcome ball held by the outrageously flirtatious. That's that's outrageously That's, flirtatious oh the duke duke of savona something about dukes man mm -hmm. yeah bridgerton they're all just like uh randy is not the word i'm looking for <laughs> don't, don't say randy. <laughs> i don't i don't think it would be appropriate to say the duke of savona savona so we have the discussion we earlier. did savona i'm so, just gonna say whatever pops out okay so the duke of savona um he is not Randy. No. <laughs> Not no. in this book. Maybe in, you know, let's age up a couple age groups. Uh-huh. Adult audience uh -huh. might be Randy. Yeah. But not in this book. Not in this book. No. He's just outrageously flirtatious. Yes. Just immediately confident, just goes out there and does it. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. So our dear Mel meets up with the squad in the gallery. Um, up above the, you know, the party going on. And she is really not fucking excited about being the guest of honor and walking down to a waiting, judging, staring group of courtiers. I forgot about this part. Mm -hmm. I it's love so this part. fucking cute. It's adorable. <laughs> uh, and so our cool, calm, collected Marquis comes to the rescue and whispers that she should think of it like a battle. And Mel, totally caught off guard, parrots back, a battle? And the audacity of this fucking man. The audacity. <laughs> he replies so softly she can barely hear it that you've a sword in hand and vast numbers of ravening minions of some dreaded evil sorcerer await below. And the moment you step among them, you'll leap into battle, mowing them down in droves. And I just imagine he's saying this in some kind of like sexy whisper. <laughs> I mean, does Bedenmark speak in any other way? Yeah, he's a he's a sexy whisper kind of guy. Yeah, like, he's got a couple different tones, but that's his dominant one right there. Yep, and Mel, like any reasonable woman, is uh, so caught up in the hilarity of such a preposterous idea that she makes it safely down the stairs, probably looking adorable and candid and laughing, and is delivered straight to the waiting and able hands of the Duke of Savona. The Duke of Savona. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's take a moment to appreciate that the Marquis did a great job at distracting Mel when she was super nervous and she was the center of all this attention she didn't want to be and he did her a favor and she can't even acknowledge the favor he did her nope <laughs> she is so fucking in denial but also that is like a little like political suave uh like moment on the marquis part because not only is he helping mel but he is also making it look to the court that they are buddy-buddy, that they are on laughing terms, that they are friends. And the whole court is like, oh, okay, so this guy that wants to be the future king is also, like, friends with the woman who, like, everyone hears about, everybody wants to know about because she rode, you know, across the country, like, 18 times back and forth, you know, avoided all these, like, crazy soldiers and the king, and they're best friends. I had not considered it from that angle, but that's 
smart. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes me feel like uh, the Marquis has some maybe not so great intentions in that scene. Oh. You can read it either way. You know what? I was kind of biased in that scene because I've always uh, pictured the Marquis as being, you know, in love mm -hmm. with Mel the entire time. And that's probably not the case. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's probably one of those moments where he's thinking to himself, like, okay, I can distract her. It'll look great to the court. But on the inside, he's like, I just want her to, like, get through this without embarrassing herself or feeling stressed out. Like, I'm going to help her. But in his head, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing these <laughs> for, like, courtly reasons. Like, I don't care at all what she I'm thinks. I'm not a softie at all. Like, <laughs> he's a softie at heart. <laughs> he's dry. But, you know, there's a reason he's the future king. Yep. There, there really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I think this is the next day, but um, this is probably one of the most single fucking heart-wrenching moments in this whole goddamn book. Um, it's Mel's name day, which is basically her birthday. And uh, she's excited. I'm having a moment over here because I'm remembering the name day <laughs> portion of the book. Okay, yeah. I'll stop. I'm not interrupting you. She's excited. She gets dressed early. She's like, oh, my God, what does Brand have planned? We're going to have this whole cute, like, day. And she runs to meet Brand and me. And she's like, oh, my God, like, what do they have planned? Like, I don't know. Oh, my God. And uh, right before she opens the tapestry, like, you know, pulls it to the side. There are no doors, by the way. Only yeah. tapestries. Yep. Only tapestries, no doors. Um, she overhears something. And these two were planning to go meet their friends. Without her. My heart chattered. Ugh. Immediately. And so uh, Mel is like, oh, my God, I cannot go in there. They forgot about it. I'm excited. And when these two pop out that little tapestry door, uh, she panics uh, reasonably <laughs> yeah, I panic too. <laughs> and said that she's going to the library and then runs away. Okay, so Mel eavesdropping behind tapestries is a theme. Mm -hmm. It happens a couple times. Mm -hmm. She gets some good information there. But yep. she also hurts herself a lot. <laughs> she like, hurts her own feelings every single fucking every time. Every single time. And that's a lesson from the author to the readers. Just don't use drop. Yep, don't do it. Don't, don't do hurt it. yourself. Mm -hmm. Not worth it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so in the library, Mel's looking around, and she eventually finds this little study that's tucked away in one side of the library. And that's where they house all of the royal memoirs and records. And who uh, just happens to be working away steadily in this little study. I got so excited just now. <laughs> the Marquis. Oh, the Marquis. <laughs> Man, don't tell me Legolas is waiting for her. <laughs> Weird. Yes, he is. And as it happens, literally every single time that Mel and the Marquis are in the same room together, they get into some kind of misunderstanding that leads into a heated this argument. This is so <laughs> annoying. Okay. Every single time there's a misunderstanding or there's oh. a, a willing misinterpretation of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Either on... It's usually on Mel's part, right? I can't think of a single time that the Marquis has misinterpreted Mel's actions. I don't think so. Yeah. I, maybe misinterpreted like he did something and he's like, oh, she's going to be fine with this. And then she's like, are you fucking kidding me? And he's like, Ugh. you douchebag. <laughs> How dare you? And she's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting because the Marquis kind of observes something similar to what we are talking about. And he says that seeking your opinion will not cease to embroil us in an argument, whatever the cause. I apologize. I also realize trying to convince you of my good intentions is a fruitless effort, but my own conscience demands that I make the attempt. And then he promptly allows Mel to escape before she can say anything snarky back. That coward. <laughs> she literally was like, oh, my God, and then ran away. <laughs> well, okay, what was she going to say? 
That's true. Like, what can you say to that? Because he, he kind of like... That was a very appropriate exit. Yeah, he put his heart on the table. He's like, I had to show you that, like, I'm not a bad guy, even though you're like, you know, everything he says is bad. And she's like, Ugh, and then runs away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I feel like you and Mel, you and Mel are the same person. Oh, yeah. There's like some quote where she's like, quick to act, quick to judge, quick to be a bitch or, you know, some kind of... <laughs> Because girl, same. (laughs) I'm like, how can I, you know, misinterpret this like very reasonable conversation in a negative, like (laughs) negative light? (laughs) But but always, and that's a theme here. Mel is always well-intentioned. Yeah. She's always being an asshole for the right reason. Mm -hmm. Because she just assumes that he's being a dick. And like her whole life prior to all the craziness was that people in court are liars and they deceive and they are purposely assholes and they like are secretly making fun of you and you don't know. Which is not necessarily wrong. Yeah, not wrong at all. The whole fan language is all them like talking shit with a fan. We should start using the fan language at work. Oh my God. (laughs) That would lead to all kinds of HR issues. That would cause some problems. Okay, (laughs) moving back to to Mel and Shavraya. Yep, so Mel, now thoroughly angry and embarrassed, uh, wallows the rest of day of the day in her room until going to a concert with Ni, uh, which Bran uh, skipped out on because he doesn't like music. It's her birthday. It's her and, birthday. Her, and her brother just decided not to go to a concert because he doesn't like music. It's her who, fucking birthday. Who, doesn't, who does that? Really? Come yep, on. Yep. And uh, Mel realizes that her brother did forget her birthday. This is not, like, unintentional, and he has, like, a surprise party. No, he fucking forgot. This is the brother she hero worshipped for all of part one. Yep, he forgot her birthday. And didn't he, like, promise that they were gonna have That's a good point. Yeah. Because in the very beginning, when we're rich and we're famous and we've defeated the evil King Galdron, we'll have a proper name day for you. We'll celebrate your flower And he forgot! Because... (laughs) I don't know, because it's brand. Except, though, um, all of a sudden, upon arriving back in her room, Mel discovers an exquisite little porcelain sphere. The sphere. The sphere. And what is in the sphere? Oh, no. A ring. The ring. A ring. (laughs) A ring. (laughs) And uh, and quite uncharacteristically, she falls asleep content with the little ring nestled on her finger next to her cheek, all happy, because (laughs) Bran pretended like he forgot. So, okay, to make it clear, she thinks the ring is from Bran. And is it from Bran? No. <laughs> of course it's not from Bran. We all know it's not from Bran at this point. Bran's an idiot, right? Yep. But we, I mean, we kind of know. We suspect. Well, immediately find out because the next morning she thinks her brother all exuberant and exciting and except, uh-oh, Bran is quite confused about what the fuck she's talking about. And he's like, a ring? And then she's like, oh, that was not from you. You're an idiot. You are literally an idiot. And he even says he forgot, he forgot her birthday. Totally forgot. But don't worry, I'll make it up to you later because I'm Bran and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And me, like, I kind of feel bad for her in this situation because she had no fucking idea and Bran being stupid and ignorant didn't think to tell her that it was his sister's birthday Nia's the only one who never fucks up in this story yeah she's just a like oh my god it's your birthday she's and just I'm a just... good person <laughs> she's a good person who's trying to do good by other people thank yep. you thank you Nia, for being a character yep um and she is quite stricken about this new information but she is quick on the recovery and instead asks mel who the ring could be from since it's obviously not from her brother and notes it a it's a, a bit extra for an admirer to start with. 
Just uh, a little bit. <laughs> reasonable. We, we have a picture of what we think the ring might look like. And it's a little bit extra from just a brother. It's chunks. I imagine some like big ass like sapphire ring that she's just like waving around. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. So Mel agrees because that's kind of wild for someone to send right off the bat. But she doesn't know how to find out who sent it. To which Nice suggests that she should just wear it openly in public and study to see if anyone looks conscious of it or claims to have given it to it. I wish this worked in the modern day. Right? I know. Like, like, oh, you sent me flowers. Who could have this been? Oh, I sent it to you because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just talk about these beautiful flowers I got and hope that someone says something. Mm-hmm. Except it's always like some like creepy oh, yeah. <laughs> 57 year old that lives in a basement somewhere. I've been stuck in you for two years. That's, that's how that ends up. Yep. No, but it's no one like hot. Mel and uh, Nee decide to take a walk around the gardens now um, after the little meltdown incident. And guess who they run into? Some of Nee's friends. And a moment later, the ever pleasant Lady Tamara proceeds to be a total bitch. She's back. <laughs> we met her before. Remember? Yep. The bitchy, like, uh, queen bee wannabe in front of all the, like, uh, super good-looking Feeding guys. Feeding fisher pigeons. Fisher it's pigeons. Lady Tamara, <laughs> lady Tamara has, has returned. Oh, the Lady Tamara. But then uh, the group gets a little bit bigger, and Bran, the Marquis, and Savona all arrive. Oh, the triumphant. Triumphant? That's not a word. We might have to put that's that. A, that's a word. Triumphant? Triumphant. Triumph. We're going to cut that out. Okay. <laughs> so, Brian, the marquee answer break. Mm-hmm. And instead of allowing the awkward pointed questions from Tamara um, to continue, Mel just goes ahead and sticks out her whole ass hand. Oh and she's like, God. look at my ring. I felt so much reader cringe in this moment. When Mel is like, I just put my hand out there and I'm like, look at my pretty ring. And I'm like, I... I put the book down. I I, did too. I couldn't take it. I'm like, this is a little too much for me. That is so fucking awkward. This is a step further into the character that I cannot take. Yep. But it's funny because Mel is just like, well, how do I make awkward questions stop? Look at my ring that I got from a secret admirer that I don't know anything about. I'm going to be even more awkward than you. (laughs) Yep. And it's funny, too, because they comment about how everyone in the group is like, oh, that's awkward, but that's Mel, I guess. (laughs) I guess this is what she does, right? Like, she doesn't know how to behave. (sighs) Yeah, but thankfully, the Duke of Savona reveals that he was not the admirer or uh, is maybe, like, the admirer secretly and is trying to, like, get people off of his trail, but, like, I don't know. Um, And instead, he announces that the ring was a direct challenged by a mysterious rival okay you don't want to challenge the duke of savona okay no. this dude is a mm-hmm. he's ripped he's the henry cavill mm-hmm. giant ass good looking suave he's oh dark and brooding and attractive and he will pummel you but he's a good dude mm-hmm. right i feel like we both got kind of like breathy <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit like we all oh want the duke God. of savona to have his own story mm-hmm. maybe one day Ooh, that would be a good i would read that because mm-hmm. I feel like there's not a lot of books that I would read, like a break-off novel of a different character. Okay, so we're going to sidebar for a second. Mm-hmm. Duke of Savona. I also, the Nisarin, the commander, the female oh, commander. Yes. She's a badass. Yes. Mm-hmm. She reminds me of uh, Lady Brienne. Oh. Lady Brienne of Tarth yeah. uh, from Game of Thrones. That is exactly like fucking done deal who I would cast. Exactly. Yes. She's yeah. a cool chick. Yeah. There's She's a lot of like. Cool. Cool. Mel, Mel is not the only cool chick in here. Yeah, that's refreshing. Mm-hmm. Super refreshing. Okay. Uh, anyway, so he's all pissed off because he's like, oh, my God. Well, let me say fake pissed off. 
He's like making a big joke out of this. Well, okay. So we don't know this as a reader at this point in the book. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil it uh, in case you're listening to this podcast, but haven't read the book. Cause it'll be like a cute little surprise at the end. But um, it could be the Duke, the Duke, you know, just like talking big game. And he's like, oh, my God, who sent that? Not me. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he is dashing. He is dashing. Very dashing. Mm-hmm. So once their little walkabout is over, Mel heads directly to her head maid lady. And she's like, how do I find out who sent this ring? And after a bit of back and forth about confidentiality and risking jobs and mysterious disappearances of people who squeal about their employer, Mel is able to only send back a response through the servants, but not know the identity of the recipient. This is a nice little plot twist. This is so cute. (laughs) And so Mel says, written on a cute little piece of paper, the gift is beautiful and I thank you, but what do they mean? Oh my goodness. Super cute. Come on. It's a fancy ring. What do you think it means? I know, girl. (laughs) And so later, when she arrives back to her room, Giddily spots a response, a single, barely blooming white rose. Oh, I know what this means. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? Purity of intent. Purity of intent. Mm -hmm. That man, whoever her secret admirer is, he got it bad. Real bad. (laughs) He's got it so bad. So bad that he doesn't know what to do except send a fucking flower. (laughs) That's so cute, though. He's like, oh, my God. She, like, responded. Like, I was not expecting that. Rose. (laughs) Well, and so at this point, too, we know he knows she's wearing the ring. Everyone knows she's wearing the Mm. ring. So he knows she likes it. Mm -hmm. We got a suave-ass secret fucking admirer on our hands. Oh, man. (laughs) Who doesn't like that? (laughs) Oh, my God. Everyone likes it. Everyone likes it. Everyone like that. Mm-hmm. Like, we all like to be admired, especially when we don't know who it is. And so it's it's not in the creepy stalker territory. Yeah. And it's like, y- there's no cost. Mm-hmm. It's like someone's doing this for free. Like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. I get like a ring and some like cute little flowers and stuff. Like, there is nothing I have to do to. <laughs> Let's qualify this. Don't do this in real life. Yeah, please don't. Don't. <laughs> no, this is lovely in a book. Not in real life. Nope. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So flash forward three weeks and Mel attends the Marquis of Merindar's party and meets her two children, specifically her son, the golden and drop dead gorgeous Flavik. Oh, Flavik. Flavik. Hi, Flavik. <laughs> There's so many vowels in there. Flavik. <laughs> Flavik. <laughs> oh. And so interestingly, Mel is once again pulled away by a mother, this time the Marquis of Merindar. And this woman makes some very pointed comments too about the how the truth can be subjective. But can it though? Is it really subjective? The truth is the truth, right? Yeah, you would think. Um, because in these pointed comments, uh, she specifically questions whether the pin- Princess Alestra, the Marquis of Chevreus' mother, um, actually knowingly helped Mel escape. So you've gone through part one. So you know that the Princess Alestra is key, whether she knows it or not, and Mel's escape from the capital. Mm-hmm. And the Marquis of Marindar is now questioning, did this lady even know? But, okay, the Marquis of Marindar is in, like, a, I don't know, a questionable position right now. Because who's in power right now? Oh, pray tell. The Princess Alestra. Interesting. And, and her husband. <laughs> and her son is the future king. So, of course, they're going to get questioned. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And so she leaves Mel with that little drama bomb. And the two skirt back to the bomb. But back in her room, Mel questions whether she should support the Marquis of Marindar instead of the Marquis of Chevreuth. And who should she believe about the exact circumstances of her escape? Pause. Let's pause. Mm-hmm. This is a moment where I really disliked Mel. Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. How can you not know? Yep. She took, it was one weird comment and she's like, oh my God, I don't know anything about reality. But 
Uh, I mean, maybe that's not totally fair, but also, girl. I mean, let's acknowledge we all have our own biases, right? She's mm -hmm. clearly biased against the Marquis of Chivraith and his family, right? She mm -hmm. doesn't want to like them, so she's not going to like them if she's given even the slightest reason not to. Yeah, which is reasonable. But also, what a crazy fucking coincidence that this woman is just, you know, oh, I'm, you know, snooty and I don't want to be touched by the rain and then uh, bring it over here so there's no one, you know, watching mm -hmm. over this uh, carriage. And, oh, <laughs> what if someone, you know, sneaked inside? I'm not going to question it. Just, just let it happen. It's fine. I'm oblivious. It's okay. Yep. Weird coincidence. Yet Mel goes with the potential of a different interpretation of those events. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, it's fair. The court is full of liars. Maybe, you know, there's something to these rumors. And Mel is uh, reasonably conflicted about all of this, like, back and forth. And she decides to ask someone about it. And who does she ask? Her secret admirer. Oh, that's a good source, don't you think? <laughs> Some random person that you don't <laughs> know. It's like, it very well could be the Marquis of Marindar herself. Oh, whoa. That, that's fucking the audacity. If you're going to mess with someone, you mess with someone hard. Damn, that would be like a fun, like. We should not make that scenario happen. No, that that's too scary. That's, that's super fucked up. That, that, that would take this book into an entirely... Darker oh direction. Let's that not would, that. yeah, that would not be a happy ending. <laughs> um, so instead of all that super dark shit, um, she poses a hypothetical court etiquette question to her secret admirer and pens the question and asks for help to navigate, navigate, oh, navigate, navigate <laughs> to navigate. There's a V in there. Her ignorance about court intrigue. And then it's interesting because Hugh responds almost immediately. Oh, I can't even begin to guess. He got it. He got it bad. Oh, no. <laughs> a little Usher throwback for you. Can um, I get a replay on that one? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fully like champagne fueled. Uh, I do not sing in public, <laughs> but uh, now it's out in the universe. Um, but anyway, uh, the secret admirer is the one that responds immediately. <laughs> Yeah, except um, he doesn't really give like a super awesome response and he instead sends her a historical novel. I mean, I would be so fucking mad. I just want an answer, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. come on, help me out here. You sent me a book, you sent me a flower, you sent me a, a what? Yeah, and, and maybe it's the admirer like thinking all of a sudden that she's going to like be able to understand this like doctoral level like parallel between her situation and like a book but like okay but so <laughs> secret admirer okay if i'm a secret admirer right and i don't know the feelings or intents or future actions of the person i'm, I'm admiring right mm -hmm. i wouldn't want to take the most careful approach possible that's true because like he hasn't put anything in writing like it's just been the ring the, the rose. minute you start writing you're gonna give away a little bit of aspect of who you may be because mm -hmm. we all know like when we start writing we give away pieces of ourselves yeah it's our voice mm -hmm. yep Literally. but yet mel doesn't seem to pick up on the voice at any point in this story <laughs> really doesn't. She doesn't. It's okay. Oh, my God. Anyway, back to the book. <laughs> and so uh, instead, she writes back and in some says she'd rather have plain discourse than gifts. And that is, in fact, uh, very much our girl Mel. She does not want any kind of fluffy anything. She's like, give mm -hmm. it to me straight. But that's not to say she doesn't appreciate the gifts. That's true. She likes nice things. Mm -hmm. She does. But she also like, tell me if you like me. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, like. I too, like, give me some compliments directly. <laughs> like, Mel's a little oblivious, and she needs the truth just 
slapped across the face. Literally. Mm -hmm. And so she goes on a walk to clear her head and immediately decides to uh, get into trouble, TM. And so she races over to the Marquis of Marindar's house to go harass the son, Flauvik. Flauvik is handsome. <gasps> Flauvik is good looking. Flauvik is handsome with a capital H. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mel has her own like whole moment. So she starts throwing some stones to get his attention as he's like sitting outside by like some like river, you know, bubbling She's pretty shitty about this whole process. <laughs> yeah, she's like, hey, dude. Uh -huh. yep. <laughs> uh, and so the two go on a walkabout where he too says that truth is subjective. Is that a novel theme? Mm. I think I that's hadn't just... noticed this when I first read through, but it seems to be. Uh -huh. It's come up quite a few times. Yep, Sherwood Smith is just taking every opportunity to tell us that but the truth is subjective. It's not. It's just so... It seems like that the characters in the story are, all, are always bringing up the truth as, when they're invested in it. Like, mm. truth is subjective when they have an active investment in what the truth is and what the final outcome of this story is. Mm -hmm. They are invested in some kind of, like, uh, alternative... Uh, what is <laughs> calling to a recent event? Alt right true. Uh, yeah, yep. So we're just gonna like bypass that whole okay. thing really quick. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Flauvik also uh interestingly reveals that he has been studying magic. What magic exists? Yeah, interesting. Just remember that for later. Mm -hmm. That our guy Flauvik is kind of like underplaying how much he knows, but he has at least been studying it. Okay, so this is actually a good part to remember because magic is weird weird yeah in this it's super world, weird right like it's something everybody uses everybody knows about but like how do we get it how do we obtain it only certain people are allowed to use it mm -hmm. it's it's not really articulated and that's a i think that's a good point that the author does in here mm -hmm. yeah she just like throws in that little tidbit that this guy you know has studied magic and uh she's like oh my god that's like super cool like i would love to like one day study magic but like no more detail than that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So their little promenade is interrupted by a passing uh, by Savona and Shivraith, and they promptly snag her out of Flavik's grasp and head back to the palace. And uh, it's interesting because on their way back, they are interrupted by none other than the Lady Tamara. This bitch. Yep. Th well, that's super accurate for this part. <laughs> um, because she very politely requests that Savona and Mel come to a little small dinner party at her house. Oh, no. The mean girl wants to host a party just for Mel and the hottest <laughs> guy in the party? Okay. That's suspicious. Mm -hmm. Nothing that's bad is going to happen here. <laughs> Oh, God. And so once Mel gets back to her room, she finds her first written letter from the secret admirer who says that he is hers to command. Oh, oh my God. Oh, I need a fan just to cool me <laughs> down. How fucking cute. <laughs> oh, my God. And so he admits he was a little confused. Does it seem to him that she had plenty of other close people to confide in? But he, is, she is asking him for advice on how to like deal with this whole Marquis of Marindar situation. And so um, the admirer very succinctly deduces that the Marquis of Marindar just wants to attach Mel to her cause. You don't say. Interesting. Mm -hmm. There's no kind of like weird, you, you know. see that one coming. <laughs> Not at all. Oh, that's suspicious. <laughs> yeah. And so Mel responds that she simply wants to rectify her ignorance about core life and intrigue and then gets ready to go to Lady Tomorrow's party. We've all been to 
a party with a capital P. Yeah, mm -hmm. capital P party where you maybe make some uh, decisions that you wish you had not. Or people make decisions for you. Mm, mm -hmm. That is very on color for this because mm -hmm. oh ho, what a party it is. Mm -hmm. Because Lady Tamara dotes on Mel the whole time and ensures that her cup is never, ever empty. Okay, red flag right here. Because, <laughs> Super okay, red flag. You know Lady Tamara is not a great person off the start, but Mel, being Mel, she's kind of naive. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously the situation does not go well for our dear Mel because she gets wasted, like absolutely fucking obliterated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then she proceeds to promptly stand up, announce she's drunk, and vomit all over the carpet. <laughs> but, you know, that being said, this is a very uh, visual scene, but you know, the author does it really well. Yeah, right? we've all had that moment where you kind of like are drinking, you're super casual, and then you stand up and you're like, holy fuck. <laughs> So I read this uh, book originally as like a 12, 13 year old aw. when I first read it. And, you know, I don't remember this scene. It really didn't stick with me. So she kind of plays with it a little delicately, the mm -hmm. author does. So thank you for that. Yes. Because um, I read this at probably like 20, maybe. Mm -hmm. So like a couple years ago. And I was like, oh, girl, like I have been in parties like that. You <laughs> see. <laughs> Uh, but thankfully, the dashing Savona steps in and walks her home, and Mel, alone in her room, laments the essential end to her social career. Except Savona immediately the following day invites her on a picnic, and none other than her secret admirer, who also says she isn't ignorant because she sees her lack of knowledge, and an ignorant person would continue on his jolly way, is like a sidebar. He also congratulates her on her triumph in the affair Tamara. Oh, Tamara. But also the Duke of Savona. Thank you for saving the day, Savona. Exactly. He stepped in, which... I feel like more credit needs to be given to guys and girls like this that are like, oh my God, like, yeah, you're a social pariah of a sort like now, but like, we need to get you to safety. Like, you're obviously not aware of what's going on. Up, okay. <laughs> but you're not, you're not a bad person. You're not we a just, bad person. You've just made some bad choices and some, you've been enabled a little bit. Yep. Yeah. And so uh, Mel is kind of confused about all of this like positive response when she's assuming that she's now a social pariah. And so she's out on a walk with Nee, who basically explains that because Mel was so forthright in announcing that she was drunk and everyone saw Lady Tamara feeding her drinks the whole night, everyone thought it was a bit of a dick move on Lady Tamara's part and they are all decidedly team Mel. But what? no, weird. They have like a you know a conscious about the whole thing. It's, it's, not, it's almost like this mirrors modern day social situations. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So our girl Mel doesn't really rejoice in her social win though, and she instead runs through a bunch of shrubbery to Lady Tamara's house and basically tells the woman that if they go out on a walk together, the whole court will assume that they repaired their friendship, and Lady Tamara will no longer be the actual social pariah. Okay. Pause moment. Mm -hmm. This is huge for the story because this is this is showing Mel as more of a less reactive and more thoughtful character. Absolutely. Right? She looks at this as, a, oh, people are just going to be people and they have their own intentions and motivations and they're going to act within those intentions and motivations. And I can't really fault them for that. Mm -hmm. So she kind of takes a step back and looks at why did Lady Tamara do it? do not did does but when, did, why did she do it <laughs> why did she do it like why did she act this way and she realizes you know maybe it's not personal maybe lady tomorrow is just so obsessed with her own end cause that she's just doing 
everything she can to do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that shows a lot of development on Mel's part because like, instead of just rejoicing in this and being like, oh my God, yeah, Lady Tomorrow, what a bitch. She's like, I want to like repair this. I don't want any weirdness. Like I'm just going to reach out to her and maybe we can find some way that like all of this kind of goes as water under the bridge. And what a cool way to spin this whole scenario because yes. Lady Tamara could have been an easy villain. Mm -hmm. she Absolutely. Could, right? Like it's easy to make that kind of character the, oh, how dare you do that to our heroine, right? Mm -hmm. She like Sherwood Smith doesn't do that. And that's so cool. Yes, girls love girls. They don't hate girls. They're not like one is better than the other. Like we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. So they go out on this walk and uh, because Mel is like not really for that high drama life and later tomorrow is a little caught off guard and she's like, why are you being nice about this? Like I was a total bitch and now you're being like cool. And Mel is just basically like, I don't care for drama. Like why do we need to be enemies? Like we could be, you know, maybe not acquaintances or friends, but we can be like, okay with each other. Keep in mind. So Lady Tomorrow's after the future king, the Marquis of Chevrolet. And mm -hmm. I was like, nope, hands off, man. I don't want any bit of that. <laughs> nope. I am not getting into that soup sandwich. <laughs> yep. So their little walk is a success. And Mel returns to her rooms to a letter from her secret admirer that's basically sums up that he is waiting to see what she does about the Lady Tomorrow situation because there's like a little delay in when the letters are, you know, delivered by servants. And so he doesn't know that Mel had like fixed this without being a bitch. And so Mel writes that she's come to two realizations. One, she doesn't plan to do jack shit about the Tamara situation except make it water under the bridge. And second, that Savona's flirtations are just flirtations and not a real courtship. Foot stomp right there. Mm -hmm. Please she, remember that. She knows that Savona is just some like flirtatious guy who's being like outrageous, but it's not real. But he's not fluffy. He's, mm -hmm. a, he's a good character. Yes. He's got his own story. But he and Mel, mm -mm. Mm -mm. that's fluffy. Nope. He's just being like uh, super flirty for fun. Yeah. Or maybe for someone else's self-interest. Mm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Why would you say that? Why would I say that? Let's, let's continue on. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Mel assesses that a courtship must first be people becoming friends or and then it develops into something more. Thank TM. you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, this is how it should be. Yes. You become friends, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's kind of handsome. Or you think that to begin with. And you're like, well, we're going to be, like, friends first to see if we're, like, even people that can have a conversation and not fight. But friends is the underlying theme. Yes. But her admirer is a little bit trepidatious. That's a word? Yeah, given Mel's personality, I would be trepid <laughs> trepidatious. Trepidatious. And he's like, well, does that mean that two people have to think all the same on every single topic in, you know, the history of everything? And Mel has a lot to say, and she ends up writing a two-page letter back. Oh, I would be overwhelmed if I was a secret admirer. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, she's, like, into this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so Mel, after her little two-page uh letter novel uh she also writes a note to flavik asking to visit him for a question of fashion as she recently discovered that she's going to have to throw an engagement party for her brother and me and so uh wait mel wait, wait wait katie yes mel writes a personal letter to this very handsome lord flavik <laughs> That is very interesting, isn't that? Mm. Um, and uh, it's reasonable that Flavik has some <laughs> misunderstandings about uh, what that means. 
Uh-oh. I sense trouble in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, because he was evidently uh, seeing some romantic subtext. And Mel is like, what? And uh, instead, Flavik uses the opportunity to sneak in a little kiss. Okay, we're going to stop right <laughs> yes, there. We are. We're going to stop. <laughs> okay. There, I, there's so much we can talk about. We, we could keep going if we... Yeah. We, yeah. We need to... I, I think this episode is clocking in at like hour plus. <laughs> this is definitely our longest episode. Yeah. So that's fair. I You're the reasonable one, the responsible one. <laughs> I mean, if you've made it to this point with us, thank you for, for sticking around. Absolutely. We are almost there. We have uh, one more episode next week and then uh, our Q&A oh, session. Stick around <laughs> for the Q&A because... A.K.A. the shit show. <laughs> Just absolute we chaos. We found the champagne. Let's just put it that way. Oh so, my God. Plus vodka. Oh, I was not going to bring up the vodka. I part. was. <laughs> okay. 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 From our shelter yours. We'll see you on the next page. Hi, readers. If you'd like to help us pick our next book, send us a message on Instagram. Or if you'd like to just listen, we post new episodes every Monday on Spotify, Amazon, or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.